This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I want to pick up where I left off. Uh, you know, we've been talking about kingdom principles and what that looks like. And uh, I believe that these are important. Uh, for some of you that think this is revelation, that just simply shows that you haven't read my book, Building People, Building Dreams, because I'm basically teaching out of that book, elaborating a little bit as we go. But these principles are what I believe are part of the core message of our ministry, the core message of what I believe. And uh, these are foundational to me. I don't have to really think about them. Uh, I have to prepare, but I have to prepare my spirit and my heart to deliver them. But this is what we've built this ministry on. These are the principles that we've built the ministry on. And once you know these things, once they become principles that you're willing to live for, you begin to get the benefit of those principles. You begin to be a principled person as opposed to a man or a woman or preference. And so the fifth principle, we have there's seven. The fifth principle that I believe is critical to seeing transformation, to being a reformational church, to being a reformational person, to seeing a transformation of a nation and a reformation of a nation, centers around the kingdom of God teaches a value of a proper relationship to authority. A proper relationship to authority. Now, so many people don't know how to relate to authority. It gets very, very difficult to relate to authority, especially if you have different roles of authority in your life. And uh, so I'd like to just put it this way. If you don't understand that we're constantly moving in our relationship with authority to being in authority and under authority, in authority and under authority, and uh, that's with all people in all of our relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's working relationships, whether it's a public or a private office. And, 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 and the degree that you manage these relationships is the degree that you have success or failure in life, depending on how well or how poor you manage these relationships. Relationships is everything in the kingdom of God. And Understanding your place in authority and how that works is critical to your success. See, God himself is directly involved with, very, with various institutions of authority in the world. Uh, I have a teaching that I do on the seven levels of authority. And I think it's very worthwhile that we get that teaching and you dust it off and you say, oh, yeah. Because if you don't understand the levels of authority... You won't know how to relate to authority in your life. Or you may get the, uh, you may begin to get things wrong in authority. And uh, so it's important that you understand the the various levels, the various degrees of authority and how they work in your life. Now, the first institution of authority that God established is the individual. And it's so important you understand how, impor- how, how individuality works. You as an individual have to be responsible to a sovereign God, which is the highest authority, to truth, which is the second highest authority, and to your own conscience. No man can violate another man's conscience. 
I can't make you do something because I think you should do it. Now, I can appeal to you. I can, uh, I can try to present truth to you. But a man will be judged by what he does out of his own conscience. And, and I cannot violate your conscience. A lot of pastors do. They violate people's consciences. If you're violating another person's conscience, you are violating one of the highest levels of authority, and God does not permit it or allow it. We cannot control, manipulate, dominate, or use witchcraft with people, and that's what violating another person's conscience is. Just tap your neighbor and say, say, I think I understand what he's talking about. I have no idea where he's at, but I think I understand that, okay? But with the individual, those things are very, very important. And then individuals have to understand that there is different degrees of authority that they live and operate under. Delegated authority, functional authority, stipulative authority, and the authority of custom or culture. All of those authorities must be taken into consideration when you follow your leadership. Now, that's a whole teaching in itself, and I can't get into that today, but the first institution of authority is the individual. Now, individuals who take responsibility for governing themselves under the rulership of God, which is simply having self-control. If you follow the pattern in the scriptures, it says, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge self-control. Add to self-control patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly love, and to brotherly love, charity or love. Let me tell you something. That pattern is something you should study, you should follow. That is the whole gospel in terms of the individual and the way that you manage yourself. But what God looks for is he says self-control leads to, or patience leads to self-control, and self-control leads to godliness, and what God's really saying is that when you have self-governance, self-direction, and self-constraint, you are then a person that is able to be led by the Spirit. You're not going to be manipulated. You're not going to be controlled or dominated. You're going to be an individual that God can use. And if you can get to a place where you can self-control or govern yourself then you can reform the next institution that God established, which is a family. Families can then in turn operate under righteous authority and have a great impact in their churches. How many of you know godly families can have a great impact in affecting the people around them in their churches, in their businesses, and then eventually in the community? That's why we put such an emphasis in our churches on men's ministry, women's ministry. You know, Ed Cole taught me that if you train up a man and he in turn trains up his wife and children in the proper way, you're going to have strong families and you're going to have then strong churches. And from a strong church, you can then impact and have a strong community. And if you have a strong community, you can affect society and eventually affect the nation. But it takes hard work. How many of you are finding out it takes hard work to do all this? Well, it does. It's very, very challenging. So 
once we have churches, then we can start changing nations and uh, we can begin to see ourselves living under righteous authority. Now, when authority drifts towards a dictator and away from the rule of law, then the people, the Bible says when we cast off restraint, the people go their own way. The people learn to adapt themselves to the arbitrary whims of those who are in power. Now, what this does is it wreaks devastation on both the psyche and the structure of the society and gives way to corruption. And that's what's happened in Zimbabwe. We have had dictatorship. We have had arbitrary leadership. Uh, we have two-tiered leadership. You have a leadership for the people, the masses, the povo, and then you have this ruling elite, these people that are so wise and so smart and so incredibly capable that they are absolutely revealing their foolishness in it. Because what they do is they have their own whim. Whatever, what, they wake up one morning and they just pass a law. And, they, and they're not passing laws with governance in mind or with people in mind. They're passing laws with their own personal preference in mind. And it's evident. It's, it's, I mean, it doesn't take much to figure it out and to see it. And then we blame it on everything except the truth. And then it wreaks devastation. Now, what's going to happen is, and you'll see this, the pendulum will swing back to law and order. And when that happens, uh, law-abiding citizens will willingly uphold the law. Even today, when it's uh, totally corrupt, when the, when the nation's totally corrupted itself, there are still some of us that are law-abiding citizens. Christians should be law-abiding citizens. But it's very hard when the head is rotten because what's in the head always comes down into the body. So when there's corruption and we start talking so much about corruption in the society, it's amazing the ones that speak the loudest are the ones that probably have the greatest problem. But they're pointing and, and we go after the little fish down here. We blame all the little fish. But the problem's in the head. It's not in the body. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he might be telling the truth there. Some of you don't like to hear that, I know that, but, uh, you know, am I hanging out there? I'm looking bad for television there. Hallelujah. Uh, when a nation or a people allows their laws to rule them rather than the personality of chefs or chiefs, kings and other rulers, then it's for the betterment of society. You see, even so in our churches, if you're running your church by a personality, you know, I've watched many of our young people, they have these charismatic personalities and uh, usually what happens is when you have a good personality, you can use your personality and, and it's, it's okay to do that because God gave you that personality. But when you use that to gather people to yourself, what happens when you die? What happens when you get moved from the position you're at? 
What happens when you're no longer there? Did you build institutionally? Did you build something strong? Or did you build around yourself and when you leave it collapses? You know, I've taken a lot of our young people that had really strong gifts and I would give them opportunity to lead a church or step in and, and take responsibility. And, and it was amazing because as long as they were there, they were, built, they were building this thing and it looked powerful. It looked something like, wow, this is going to be great. And the day they would leave, they would seed their own venom because we moved them or uh, because things didn't work out the way that they thought they should. Hey, things don't always work out the way they think you should. But let me tell you something. Your first assignment or your second assignment may not be where God really placed you. It may be the area that we're helping you and God's helping you to become trained, to develop character, to develop skills. We often move a pastor after a couple of years, and we try to move every two to three years for a reason. It's because you made so many mistakes, you've bungled it so many times, you've lost sometimes credibility in the eyes of your congregation that, hey, it's not that you're a bad pastor, it's just that you had all your learning in that congregation, but people have labeled you. They've begun to look at you like, well, yeah, yeah. and they have opinions that are hindering you from becoming who you could really be. So when we move you into a new congregation, guess what? They don't know all those things, and they see you as the new answer to the, and a new flavor, and, 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 and hopefully you don't make those same mistakes. Now, we have some of you that, you know, uh, you know the Bible says as a dog returns to its vomit. No, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> don't do the same thing. But we're trying to help you. We're trying to say, hey, let's strengthen you. Dr. McConey and I agonize every time we move someone, every time that somebody has to be replaced. But sometimes it's for your betterment. Did you know that? And it's part of authority. See, I believe this as well. I spoke about earlier. When we don't understand proper authority, or when we live in oppressive situations, or when we live with kind of the mindset of our nation today, where there's so much constraint, where we have a lot of constraint, where we have a lot of rules, a lot of laws, a lot of layers, guess what that means? Where there's more law, where there's more layers, there's less freedom for you to be you. So, the more constraint, the less individuality. The more you have control, the less innovation. Now, what we want is to release people to be more innovative. But some of you, if we give you the ability to be innovative, don't have enough self-governance for us to do that. You'll take the whole offering for yourself. How many of you know that around finances, we don't want a lot of innovation? So that's why we put controls around finances. There's a lot of control around finances. I don't want the financial guy in the church to be innovative. Hey, you know what I had this? No, no, no. We want strict rules in that area. But our pastors, we want you to be more and more innovative. But we want to be able to release you into being freer. But that requires greater self-governance. If you can't rule yourself, then guess what happens? You'll go off on your own tangent. 
The Bible says this. It says that a man who separates himself seeks his own. Well, don't separate yourself. Govern yourself and bring yourself into proper alignment with the authorities. Does that make sense? And so if you do that, if you learn that, you're going to become very successful. So when we build around personality or, uh, you know, and, and, and then understand this, that the pendulum swings. In our ministry, when the chaos of the ministry hit and we sent out all of our pastors and we uh, began to try to manage things, we put in a lot of controls. But I don't know if you've noticed, but we keep loosening controls and we're saying, no, we're giving more and more power to people as you begin to prove yourselves, as you begin to take responsibility. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, the first few times I had people wanting to build buildings. Well, I mean, we would come with these elaborate building designs and they think I'm paying for them. They were bigger than these buildings. They were more elaborate than the celebration center. I'm saying, well, who's going to pay for this? You are. I said, how am I going to pay for it? See, they, they wanted the innovation without the responsibility. So guess what? We've had to align that, and now we have beautiful things happening. Like our church in Pretoria, they just brought me their plans. And they, they found a building, and this building's amazing, and uh, they, they're able to put a big, beautiful foyer on it. I mean, this is going to be one of the most amazing buildings in our network, and it's going to be a great place. But can I tell you something? They're being stretched. They're straining. The Joburg Church has strained itself to become what it is today. But guess what? That's part of the growth process. And now they understand. Every one of those guys that went through that building process now understand what I, to- what I tried to tell them they couldn't understand. But now they're building their next wing and it's like, and they're going through the paces themselves. I don't have to teach them anymore, but they're still accountable to us. Does that make sense? But they're, being able, they're able to be innovative now, but they understand what the process. Self-government is always better than institutional government, but both are necessary in great organizations But nations and organizations advance more rapidly according to the degree of self-governance. You know, that's why I worry about Zimbabwe, is that we have very little self-government and we have very little trust in government. You cannot make a decision in Zimbabwe about hardly anything without having to go to the office of a minister and eventually the office of the president. So everything just bottlenecks. Why? Because we have such a hierarchical leadership. It's absolutely bad leadership. It's just bad governance. We don't trust anybody. You can't hardly go to anybody in employment and ask them to do their job. They have to talk to a supervisor who has to talk to another supervisor who eventually has to talk to a permanent secretary or whatever it is. But see, great companies, great organizations empower their people to say, you make that decision. You do it. Because if you're doing it, guess what? Now you're, uh, now you're working according to a self-governance. You're working to, I understand the rules. I, I understand how this thing works. And, and guess what? That's where, that's where innovation can take place. That's where we don't need, you know, 15 people to sign off on something. I watch some of our great corporations in this country. 
and the, the, the chairman or the CEO or the owner or the, he, he makes all the decisions. He's micromanaging it. I don't know how they do it. I'm trying like heck, I'm trying to get as much flattened as I can and give a much, away as much as I can to all of you so you can really make real decisions, grow yourselves, but account for what you do. Does that help you? So if we're going to have kingdom, we're going to have a relationship to authority. Believers, any believer, any leader who studiously attempts to walk according to God's law understands how to be in authority and under authority in any given situation in life. These people that learn how to be in authority and under authority become great citizens, become great leaders, become what the Bible describes as the salt and light to a taste, tasteless and dark world. Now, let me just point this out. Whether the government of a nation is just or unjust, is righteous or unrighteous, as the people of God walk by the Spirit, as you and I live in the kingdom of God, as we live according to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, we bring the influence of the kingdom of God to bear on our nation. And it ultimately results in reformation. So you and I have a responsibility to live free. And nobody can bind me. No government can bind me. They can try to oppress me and they can make my life miserable. But guess what? I'm a free man. And I refuse to come under the manipulation. You can't give me a farm. You can't, give me, you can't buy me. And I may not be as rich as I could be, but I am prosperous in Christ Jesus. I've learned that godliness and contentment are not in you making me rich or the government making me rich or uh, 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 even the church making me rich. Because my riches are not found in this world. They're found in right thinking and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if I have that, I have everything. Think about that, guys. And that's what I'm talking about. Principle six, the kingdom of God exhibits intentionality. And I love this. It's intentionally making room for people of all nations, all tribes, all languages. This is not easy. Let me tell you something. In John's account in the book of Revelation and his vision of heaven, he describes as seeing a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 9, with palm branches in their hands, wearing white robes, worshiping God. Let me tell you something. Every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every language is represented before the throne of God. If that's what heaven looks like, we want thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to represent heaven on earth. So that means that if that's what heaven looks like, you and I have to be very, very intentional about breaking the images of this earth and looking at the image of heaven. I'm going to tell you how hard it is to break the barrier of racism. Because 
governments in particular use racism to control us. If I can divide you, I can conquer you. I can dominate you. So we make these distinctions. We make enemies of different races. We make these statements. All white people are. All Chinese are. You can't trust the Indians. Now in our country, we're dividing even further. Karanga. Sisulu. Of course, we know about the Indabelli. I mean, good night, those people. Right? Oh, we know about the Shona. Oh, those people. You see what I'm saying? And who's doing all the division? And then we create problems. We create issues around things. We, we make things happen that engender hatred, division. Well, that cannot be in the kingdom of God. And we have to be intentional about breaking it. It's, and it's hard. It's hard. Because, hey, quite frankly, we do have cultural differences. We do have, uh, we do have personality differences. And, and different tribes and different colors and different races do things differently. And so if we're going to do this, we're going to have to be intentional and understand that our churches will not come about accidentally. No, our churches will have to be built intentionally and deliberately. We're going to need to open our arms, our hearts, and our doors to people of all nations, all tribes, all languages. And this is really hard in a nation like Zimbabwe or in South Africa where you have xenophobia and we're being torn apart by racial hatred and it's fostered right from the head down. We keep these messages going and, and now, now, it's, now it's tribal. It's, it's, it, these things are being fostered at tribal levels and, and there's implosion in, even in our political parties. It's, 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 it's hard. But our vision is going to have to, for our churches, fight this. Now, in our early days as a church, we attracted many white people. And I assume that it's because they were comforted by the fact that their senior pastor was white. But how many of you know that a white church in a black Africa is not a representation of the nation that we're in? Zimbabwe is 99.99% black. So how can you have a white church? And I'm not saying there aren't churches that get around their, 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 their race and have great comfort from each other. But that's not in Zimbabwe. And, and, and you don't do business with white people only, although maybe there is a little cliquishness there. And, and there is a way of doing business that they learn that uh, they do sometimes differently than we do in the African culture. But we need to learn from each other as well. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that we need to be intentional about if we're going to be reformers, we have to be intentional about doing this. And so, and it's not easy. And so, uh, the reality is that Zimbabwe and Africa are 99% black. And so, we're going to have to look at our church structure and say, how, how do we look if we're going to be like the nation we're in? What was that over there? It sounded like somebody just died over there. <laughs> 
No, I, I heard the cop, but I heard somebody go, Woo! I thought, oh, well. Uh, got lost here. So Joseph Garlington spoke to me, and, and, and I, I, I always attribute this to him. Uh, he said, in a divided society, only the church can reflect unity. And that's why we believe that it was, that it was and is imperative that we build a model of a multicultural church. Now, I have to tell you something. When we first started as a church, it was very hard to attract African people, especially leadership and, 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 and solid members. There were a number of good reasons, and I don't want to get into those today. But, uh, you know, uh, many of the white missionaries and white church leaders had either taken on the traffics of colonialism or they had created structures that made church members and leaders dependent on outside help. So many of the uh, African, um, African people would see the white church and see the, our congregation as a place that was the uh, place where they could get a handout. One time I said, I know what the African handshake is. This is the African handshake. What can you give me? And, and people would come to the church thinking that, hey, if you come to the church, we're going to give you something. Well, no, we're not going to give you money. We're not going to, but we will give you teaching. We'll give you instruction in righteousness. We'll give you the ability to become all that God wants you to become. We will teach you and we will build people. We will build dreams and we'll help you become all that you can become. But we're not going to, we're not going to keep you in the church by controlling you and dominating you and, and being your source. The church is not your source. The church is not here to give to you. The church is here to instruct you in righteousness, to impart the knowledge of God so that you can become all that God wanted you to become and to take dominion and rulership in the earth. I think my preaching is better than your amen. So uh, we began to address the issue of race intentionally. We began to create opportunities that would attract strong leaders. We did. We started working with young black leaders who embraced the message of the kingdom of God. And we also reached out to other communities in Zimbabwe, colored, Indian. Uh, and then even we began to understand that there are different tribes and different ethnic groups and different nationalities amongst us. At one time, I think we had 15 different nationalities represented in the church. And, it was, and we still have many, many. And it's very dynamic what we have going on here. Uh, now... We knew that if there were, if we were ever to model true reconciliation, that it couldn't be that we just worship together, but we had to live out this gospel together. And building relationships is always difficult, especially across tribal and racial. And uh, so, so we we moved from lift service. And we began to intentionally integrate our lives, not only in the corporate church setting but also in the workplace socially and we tried to do it and we are still trying to do it according to the kingdom of God. The story that I use and that, I beca that it became the uh, bedrock of how we did this is found in uh, the book of uh, Genesis the 30th chapter and it's the story of Jacob and how he had been tricked by his father-in-law Laban so many times that he finally said, hey, I'm going to get my share and I'm going to get out of here. So he made a deal that Jacob couldn't refuse. You know, when you have two tricksters, 
It's the, you know, two con artists, guess what? Somebody's going to get conned, right? So Jacob gave him an offer that Laban couldn't refuse. He says, here's the deal. He says, I'll take all of the animals that have no stripes, no spots. He says, and he says, uh, he says, I'll manage them for you. But any animal out of the non-striped, non-speckled, that is striped or speckled, will become mine, and any of the animals that remain black or white will be yours. Well, if any of you understand animal husbandry, you'll understand that if you have black and white animals, they usually produce black or white animals. They don't produce striped or speckled. That's a different thing. But Jacob had been given an instruction from God, and he said, as he took them down to the watering hole, he began to put striations and speckles and spots on the birch wood so that when they would drink, they would see speckles and spots and speckles and spots, and they became what they saw. Now we know today, through animal husbandry, we, we know today that through uh, studies that that is actually true. That if you put these animals in a speckled situation, they, that's how they change their genes. And, and so somehow, Jacob, the trickster, out-tricked Laban, the fraudster. <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. But the, the point behind this is that people become what they see. Pastor Bonnie gave a great illustration yesterday where the monkey would take a peanut and his mind would trigger. The monkey would take it and his mind would trigger. But then he watched somebody else take a, pig, a peanut and his mind would trigger. That's why when you see violence on TV, your mind triggers. It's as if you did it. You become desensitized. When you watch pornography, it's just why it's easier to become pornographic in your relationship when you've seen it so many times because it's as if you did it. Same in church. If you want to attract people of every race, every tribe, every kindred, and every nation, the best place to start is right here on the platform. If you, you know, I remember this when our church was primarily white and uh, becoming more and more African. I would go to one of my white elders and I'd say, hey, get, get, get five guys and come and help me. Well, guess what he'd come back with? Five white guys. I go to one of my black brothers and I'd say, hey, get five guys and come and help me. Guess what he'd come back with? Five black guys. So I would stop them. I'd say, guys, do you understand? You have to be intentional about this. When I ask you to get five guys, go out and get two white guys and three black guys or get three black guys, three white guys and two white black guys. I said, we've got to be intentional about how we do this. See, if you're Eurocentric, you only see Europeans. If you're Afrocentric, you only see Africans. You never think about the other brother. And it takes effort because guess what? It's not in your sphere. You don't think like that. It's just, it's just, you just, and it's not that you're evil or bad. It's just that, hey, that's the easiest path. So when you start thinking about what's on the platform, three Chinese families show up in church and you don't have one Chinese person on the platform. Pretty soon they're going to say, eh, we don't belong there. We could never be in leadership. We could find one of them. Get them up there. Surely they can play a keyboard. They can sing in the choir. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but every time we 
have a choir, we have at least a couple of marshmallows in the hot chocolate. <laughs> that makes sense. And, it's, and we're not using them. We're just saying, hey, we really want people to feel comfortable here. We have in the belly and we have shoulder. And we have, now we have to start thinking about, well, wait, do we have the ratio of karanga that we need? No, we don't think like that. We're just saying, hey, we're not going to go to that level. We're not going to get into the politics of this world. But we are going to say, hey, we're going to represent everybody. We want you all to feel. And by, we do that off the platform. And we do it intentionally. Church pastors, think about it. How do you represent yourself? You know, tribalism is killing Kenya, for example. You have a church over here, and they're only Luya. And then over here, you have only uh, Maasai, and then, you know, something else. Well, guys, we don't build around our tribe. And even in our church, sometimes we have these little things that you can feel. Ah, he's, well, you, you need to stop that and intentionally embrace the brother from the other tribe. The, the, even though you don't agree with their politics, you don't agree. Hey, we're above, we're above politics. And get your politics out of the church. Okay. Anybody listening to me? All right. Let me just move on here. I think I've said enough here. Uh, Principle seven, last principle. I think I have enough time to do it, don't I? The kingdom of God is designed in such a way as to give man authority and dominion over the earth. Now, this is a biblical worldview, and it's based on Genesis when God told Adam and Eve that he created them to give them dominion on the earth. Hebrews 2 and verse 8 says, you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under their feet, under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. At present, we don't see everything. How many of you see everything subject to you? At present, it, but he made you positionally to have everything under your feet. Are you part of the body of Christ? And the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet as the body of Christ. Psalm 8, 6, he says, you made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. God created you for dominion. God created you to have dominion on earth. When Adam and Eve fell, however, they lost their glory. They lost the image of God. They lost dominion over creation. Satan took the throne that had been vacated by Adam and Eve. He began to exercise dominion on the earth. And death and destruction and a downward spiral filled the earth. All the generations that followed Adam and Eve have inherited Adam and Eve's fallen nature. It's called original sin. That's what we all fight every single day of our lives. You're born in sin. You are the, your father is the devil. You are the father, your father is the father of lies. And we've all come under the dominion and we've come under the power of Satan. But God, hallelujah, provided salvation through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary. 
I don't know how, do I have Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15? Did I put that up? I do. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. God sets you free from the fear of death. Every time you have fear, every time you have fear of dying, every time you feel that fear, that is not God. That is the devil trying to pull you back into bondage. God has set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And it's important that you and I begin to deliberately walk in this dominion that God gave us. He made you to have dominion, not to be under fear. Jesus came into the world to rescue mankind from Satan's power. Jesus gave his life as a ransom to buy us back, to destroy the works of Satan in our lives and to return dominion to mankind. So we have dominion over the earth through Christ with the God-ordained power to rule, to subdue, and to change the earth. If you don't understand that, you will never rule. You will never stand up. You'll never resist. You'll always be passive. Oh, the devil's stronger than I am. That's not true. Much of religion and all of witchcraft paint a picture of the world filled with irresistible forces that have power to overwhelm the individual. Sometimes we call these forces God. Let me tell you something. A lot of people paint a picture of God, that God controls you. God does not control you. I, pastors cannot control each other. We cannot control our conversation. Conver, conversations. <laughs> that too sometimes. Our congregations. <laughs> we hold forth the word of truth. We don't manipulate. That's witchcraft. All I can do is bring and present truth to you. But you must decide. But you must also make a decision if you're going to have dominion and rise up and rule. Or come under the yoke of bondage again and live in fear. Amen. Witchcraft constantly creates this idea that God or gods or the devil, or, uh, whether it be scientific socialism, capitalism, Marxism, Zionism, our worldview determines how we live. Many people in Africa are still bound by the fear of witchcraft. So many people that I minister to, so many of you are waiting for life to happen to them. But God designed man to be the protagonist and to make life happen. God made you to have dominion. Let me tell you something. How many of you have a puppy or a dog or how many of you have ever had a dog? How many of you know that that dog, if you don't take dominion over it, will ruin your life? We had some dogs that we never took dominion over. One was called Salt, the other was called Pepper. But their names soon became Out, Down, Out, Down, Get in your box, Get in your box. That was their names. Get in the box. I hated those dogs. I don't know why we ever had those dogs. 
Eventually, we gave them to a farmer, and they went and ran on a farm somewhere. There were two big Alsatians. And I, one was white and one was black, and I, and, and I, I, I hated them. Those dogs were useless. <laughs> I, but do you know what the problem was? I never took dominion over them. We never trained them. We never told them. They, they didn't know what to do. They just knew to put their tail between their legs and get in the box when the, the boss came out. Box! In the box! In the box! That's all the love they ever got from me was in the box. I never touched them, didn't like them. We'd feed them occasionally. (laughs) I'm sure the SPCA will be after me after this message. We found them a nice home. Only the kingdom of God can bring true reformation to a society. All other religions, in fact, all religion, whether it be Islam or traditional Christianity, they've all failed in bringing reformation. We didn't bring reformation. The church, you and I, even you and I as pastors have to take a hard look at ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves, have we ever really affected the culture? the ancestral belief systems? Have we changed the basic cultural understanding of the contemporary societies on this continent? Or are we just allowing a syncretistic kind of, hey, take a little Jesus and tack him on, just like, you know, hey, the the Hindus have a pantheon of gods and they believe in Jesus too. You know, hey, I, I, I believe in all my ancestors. I believe in everything, you know. In the Catholic Church, we have every saint imaginable that can save you and be an intercessor for you, but we don't believe what the Bible says, that only through Jesus Christ can a man be saved. So we have to come back to either we're going to believe the gospel, or hey, you just believe whatever you want to, and you create your own gospel. But if you're going to believe the gospel, you must begin to take dominion over everything that is contrary to the word of God. It is a difficult, it's really hard to question culture. But until we can change some of the key elements of culture that are contrary and contradict the Bible and biblical patterns and biblical principles, then African culture, or any culture for that matter, American culture, they will begin to be in force and will begin to have to live by the age-old proverb that says that if you are attempting the same things and expecting a different result, you're a fool. And the reason we haven't seen real results in our churches and real results in our lives is because we keep doing the same thing the same way, but it's not the biblical way. It's not God's way. God's ways are paths of righteousness. God's ways will lead us into truth. God's ways will lead us into liberty, prosperity, peace, joy, righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the power of God. So the kingdom of God is the answer for every problem on earth. Not only in Africa, but in the United States, in Europe, in Asia, anywhere in the world. The answer for Africa is not looking east. It's not looking west. It's not looking to capitalism and free enterprise and the so-called developed nations. But if Africans and you and I would look with all of our heart to the word of God then we would find that the promises of God are far better than the materialism of the West, the asceticism of the East. 
We don't have to remain a culture bankrupt by witchcraft. We can develop into a culture built on respect for human life with all the virtues and the values that are set forth in the scripture. And then I believe, and I, this is what God gave me when I first came to the continent, and I believe it with all my heart. When I came here, this was called the dark continent, not because of the color of men's skins, but because of the backwardness. This people had stayed in the dark ages. I believe that this is no longer the dark continent. I believe it is the continent. And God gave me a verse of scripture, and I want to put it up, and I'll just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 7. Arise. Church, it's time for us to arise. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the whole earth. The thick darkness is over the peoples, all peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian. I can't even do dogs. I don't want camels. Uh, young camels of Midian and Ephrath. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kader's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Can I tell you something? The church is going to be central. The power of God's going to be manifested. Some of you are going to come into your own. I can't help but believe that we're on the cusp of this right here. I believe that as this year falls away and we enter into the Jewish New Year of 59 80 and the Gregorian New Year of 2020, I think you're going to see a shift. A shift. And I think that you're going to see many of us rise up, take dominion, and live in this kingdom culture. Amen? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.